Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Debrief. Happy Easter season to everyone. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you back on the show. Thank you very much. Happy Wednesday of the first week of Easter. Absolutely. Well, we've got three primary topics we're going to chat about today. Does the German Synod threaten a break with church teaching? Pope Francis Answers, the new show that from Disney that's out on Hulu as of this week. And we're going to wrap with the, the new phase that the Global Synod is entering. Welcome, friends, to The Debrief. It's a weekly show where we dive deep into news, questions, and controversies facing the church today. I'm Dominic DeSouza, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the editor and co-founder of Where Peter Is. Whether you're a devout Catholic, a curious seeker, or just interested in the news and happenings in the church. Here's our commentary, analysis, and context on the topics you've asked for. So let's dive into this. We talked about this. Uh, it was coming up. Uh, we mentioned it last week. Uh, a lot of people keep asking where Peter is, keep asking you, you know, no matter what you say, but what about the German Synod? Is it threatening a break with Catholic teaching? Um, I don't know that much that's going on. Could you give us a, a quick overview of your take on what's going on uh, to orient us? Way to get right down to business, none of this chit-chat at the beginning of the show. <laughs> My Easter was fine, thank you. No, I'm kidding. Um, so yeah, in recent months, we've heard a lot of worry and speculation about the German church's synodal way um, or synodal path. Um, it's a popular retort if anybody criticizes. Uh, recently, I wrote a piece on, on Archbishop Vigano and the Twitter and Facebook comments were all to the to the effect of, well, what about Germany? Why don't you have any comments on Germany? Mm -hmm. um, to give a brief overview of what um, the German Synod is, um, it is not the same initiative as the Global Synod or the Synod on Synodality that we're all undertaking um, oh, as a okay. church right now. Uh, Germany, for example, they have their own, uh, you know, synthesis document. They had separate, you know, I would assume separate synodal meetings, but the things that the synodal way has voted on are, are sort of a national initiative that was begun uh, in response to the revelations of uh, the sexual abuse crisis in Germany. Um, one of the main key themes of this uh, synodal way is that the church in Germany has a crisis of credibility um, on moral matters. Basically, what the the laity and the leaders, especially from you know the non-hierarchical side of the German church, are saying, is basically like bishops hierarchy. If we can't trust you on this issue of of sexual abuse and we've seen the way that you've mishandled it we've seen the way you've covered it up in a lot of cases uh you know bishops and priests have even engaged in it what they're saying what moral authority do you have to tell the laity what to do mm -hmm. or to tell the church what to do um based on your own behavior so in a way um it's understandable that the german church um is is asking these questions um and I, I don't think Pope Francis is opposed to dialogue. I don't think that the church is shut off to talking about these issues. But where uh, the German Synod has become problematic um, 
and especially in the eyes of you know conservative Catholics in the U.S. and um, conservative bishops like Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Brand Mueller, Cardinal Volpe, um, who's the uh, the Archbishop of Cologne, um, is that a lot of the initiatives that are being put forward by the German Church are contrary to Catholic moral teaching, um, oh, okay. and even and. Some might even say a, an even bigger concern, and this is the concern that Pope Francis has voiced. This is a concern that the um, Vatican Secretary of State has voiced, and and Cardinal Casper, who um, you know, as many people uh, remember, he was it was the Casper proposal that sort of got the ball rolling towards the synods on the family, and his okay. proposal was discussed, but ultimately, his proposal wasn't accepted for communion for the divorced and remarried at Inamoris Laetitia. But, you know, people describe him as, uh, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. think of him as a, as a liberal bishop. But in reality, um, he's one of the more conservative German bishops. And he was part of um, that group of Vatican II, uh, post-Vatican II theologians who was part of the Communio school. So, mm -hmm. um, but his concern has been ecclesiological. Um, okay. It's been about the um, the synod the synodal way has been um, proposing structures of power and governance in the church that are incompatible with Catholic ecclesiology, especially as we understand it from the first and the second Vatican Council. Um, they propose things like uh, you know lay boards electing the bishops of a diocese or um, the governance of a parish falling under a group of lay people and you know the priest is someone that's just hired um, other issues that they that they put forward um, where if you listen to them speak unambiguous unambiguously a lot of the delegates you know they will be absolutely saying that women should be allowed in all ministries including ordained ministries um, they'll, you know, the Catholic Church should change its teaching on uh, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, gay marriage, like a lot of the, obviously the progressive issues that we are, that we're facing in our culture war. Um, one of the complications of the German church is that um, in their government, in their tax system, like they don't have separation of church and state the way that we do. Um, uh. Okay. When when you're born or when I guess when you register to pay taxes, you actually can register as a member of religion. And then part of your income tax is delegated to if you're Lutheran, it's given to the Lutheran church. If you're, you know, if you're Catholic, it's given to the Catholic church. And as a result of this, even though like in many countries, including Canada and the United States and the United Kingdom, the um, the culture is secularizing. Yet, if you're still Catholic on paper, um, that percentage of your income is still given to the to the German Catholic Church, and as a result, the German Catholic Church is a very very wealthy church. Um, it and in order to stop giving that money, um, like you could, you know, might not set set foot in a church from your baptism, you know maybe you get married in the church maybe you don't but it's like you're not going to church on any kind of regular basis yet if you're on the rolls of the church according to the government the church is getting that percentage of your income 
but you can officially withdraw or you, from the church. You can officially uh, convert to another faith. And one of the things that we've seen happening recently in the German Catholic Church is that people are leaving um, in leaps and bounds. They're, you know, in response, as we noticed back when, um, in 2021, when the, when the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith uh, put forth that document um, basically saying that the Catholic Church can't offer blessings to same-sex couples, that this is contrary to Catholic teaching. Um, it was something like 700,000 Germans officially left the church wow. in response to that. Austria okay. has a similar system, and like 300,000 Austrians left the church. So we're, and, and sorry to throw this in there too, but as a consequence of all of this money that the church is receiving from the government, mm -hmm. uh, this is also, this money is being, uh, you know, redirected into things, into good things, into societal, you know, charitable things like hospitals, um, you know, adoption agencies, universities, education, um, you know, various charitable arms of, of, you know, of the church. But as a result, you have two, sort of two different church systems going on. One is um, a very, uh, you know, one is the faithful, which is the people who go to mass on Sunday. Um, and that number is in decline. Um, and it's reflective of the rest of the Catholic Church around the world. The other part of the church, and it's a part of the leadership of the church in the country just by default, is this bureaucratic arm, you know, presidents of hospitals, theology teachers in, in you know, schools and, and in um, universities. Um, and in a lot of cases, especially in these, you know, more bureaucratic and, and charitable areas, the people that are leading or are, you know, the church employees, because the Catholic Church, I think, I think I've seen that it's the biggest employer in the, in the entire country of Germany. Um, but because of this, you know, this dichotomy, because of this system, a lot of the people who are running the church or running church institutions okay. are not part of the day-to-day -day Catholic Church. And this is one of, and, and this is a valid criticism. Um, it's, you know, basically people who are not practicing their faith, they identify as Catholic, they have oversight over Catholic institutions. Um, mm -hmm. And these are a lot of the people that are making up the, you know, the voting body of the synodal way. And this is something that Pope Francis has criticized. I was going to say, what's been his response or his reaction to this? What's going on? Yeah. So in, an, in a recent interview with um, Elisabetta PK, he's um, he said that it's with uh, La Nacion, the she's the uh, Argentine journalist and wife of uh, America's Vatican correspondent Jerry O'Connell. So I just wanted to throw out that uh, <laughs> that shout out. But um, he basically said that you know it's elitist. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't reflect um, you know a a true love of the church. I I don't he has he didn't use those words specifically. He did use elitist, but the sense that I get is it's it's disconnected from the people of God, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Now, obviously, the bishops are voting in there. Uh, I'm sure many of the people in in that group are active, um, 
and there and I mean there's a certain amount of risk involved uh you know Pope Francis said nothing's off the table we want you to discuss what's on your mind we want to be a listening church we want to hear your concerns um so you've got a uh you know a German church that is listing their concerns which don't align in a lot of cases with Catholic teaching um and I think that's similar to, you know, even the U.S. report and, and other countries where the hierarchy is not, you know, is, is seen as more conservative or seen as more orthodox. You know, if they're being faithful to the synodal process, if people are coming forward and saying, I disagree with the church on birth control or, you know, why can't my um, gay brother have his relationship blessed in the church? Like these are, you know, these are questions that Catholics are asking. A lot of women just don't. You know they don't see the reasons why women can't be ordained you know at least not to the to the you know to the diaconate um i think in a lot of cases conservative catholics are in the u.s and i understand this fear because you know i've been there before and it also kind of speaks to the past of the church they're ups they're worried or upset that the pope hasn't fully put the brakes on this that he hasn't nipped this in the bud but on the other hand, I think what the synodal process does is it allows Catholics to be aware of, you know, that the church is, has received the message. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to the German situation, recently they had a vote, um, they voted for a proposal that endorses um, the blessing of same-sex couples, like gay couples, and also I think it couples who are cohabitating, couples who are divorced and remarried. Now, I understand that this has been tabled until 2026, so after um, the full synod process is over. Um, okay. some, some bishops have called for its, uh, you know, have called for uh, basically a moratorium on the, you know, on the synodal uh, path. Um, you know, the biggest things that I think the biggest concern and the Vatican has intervened the most is on these issues of basically having the local church run by local councils. And I think they voted that down. But one of the concerns that they've had is that bishops have even voted on to these documents. Um, and, and that's the other thing. Cardinal Ladaria kind of put a in his intervention mentioned that there's no like one central document of the German synodal way. It's like they've met four times, I think, and each time has produced, you know, eight to 10 different documents. And so it's unclear, you know, mm -hmm. what goes where, what's binding. Um, now the bishops of Germany have said, we're not going to change anything that's, you know, doctrinal unless the, uh, the Pope gives its approval. So here's here's what I where I am on this, because I think that this is extremely unprecedented, at least in the last, several hundred years of the church now we've had councils and things that have been extremely contentious um you know the you know the council of nicaea we had people who thought jesus wasn't divine arguing with people who thought jesus was believed that jesus was is divine so it's like you know and you know there's the the urban legend that you know saint nicholas slapped arius on the floor of the council i don't think that's true but um you know really really serious pivotal issues and i think so basically what this what this is coming down to in my eyes pope francis has been firm on doctrine he's been 
critical of the more elitist and bureaucratic elements of the synodal way, but to a certain extent, he is letting this play out. My, my own gut feeling about this is that he, um, he thinks that we're headed for a collision course, and I think he wants that collision course. Because too, too often in the past, people who have advocated for certain issues like women's ordination or, you know, birth control and, you know, and even though I assent to the Catholic Church's teaching, it's like anyone who raises these issues is, isn't given a forum. The church says, you know, the church has spoken, this is the teaching, we're not going to talk about it. Well, we're going to talk about it. I don't anticipate that you know the next two October assemblies are going to result in any concrete changes in doctrine, but there might be pastoral solutions or dialogue that might be beneficial to the entire church, even people who aren't comfortable with church teaching, which I think brings us to our second topic. Yeah, I was going to say, let's come back and talk about the global synod entering a new phase in just a moment. But in terms of, of the Holy Father sitting and listening with people, um, the show, I think it's called Amen, Pope Francis Answers came out. I believe it was just this past week. I think I watched it as soon as it came out. Um, it was the day it came out, but I couldn't get it to work for some reason. So, for those I thoroughly thought it was, I, I thoroughly appreciated everything that happened in, in that that conversation um what was your take um as a, an overview of of how he landed the questions and, and where the whole thing went yeah i mean i i found that um i i only watched it two days ago and for some reason i couldn't i thought it was on disney plus which i guess produced it so by the way if you're in the uk or australia it's on disney plus if you're in the u.s it's on hulu um but i finally got to watching it but i saw some of the complaints um some of the headlines uh, one of them, Pope Francis says, sex is a beautiful thing and it's normal to meet people on Tinder. Um, I think I think one of the one of the things that the secular press has tried to do um, with Pope Francis, which I think is goodwill, but not always accurate, is this was sort of an example of Pope Francis getting down and relating with the kids. Um, you know, we have a cool Pope finally. And I, that's not... <laughs> I mean, in a sense that, you know, basically they plunked in an international cast of the real world. <laughs> you know, with, you had, you know, LGBT people, you had, you know, uh, uh, a pro-choice activist, you had, um, you know, an ex-nun turned atheist, um, you know, and, and they were all Spanish speaking. One, though, was from India originally, or her parents were from India and she was from the U.S. So there was one American represented speaking Spanish. Um, but it was sort of a fascinating they plop him in this group of people and i think that what he did first of all pope francis is willing to talk to anybody mm -hmm. i think he modeled what he means when he talks about a listening church and how we should engage the world today um you know like it or not you know the, the vast majority of people in western culture I mean, and, and this is shocking, or, you know, I think a lot of Catholics, um, a lot of conservative and traditionalist Catholics want to shelter their kids from this, but the vast majority of Catholics live out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and when we are witnesses to the faith, or if we encounter people who are, um, who don't 
you know, share the Catholic faith or, or don't share it in its fullness, how do we, how do we engage with people? And I think just as importantly, don't recognize the, the position the church is communicating from, like you talked about the German Synod, it's not a credible position. And, and there were several people who, like the, the ex-nun and the young men who had been abused by the Opus Dei numerary, um, struggling with seeing, uh, you know, what is this, the, what is the value that, that the church has to offer? And then they'll see others who are practicing, but, but, you know, in name, but not living it out. And, and then they're sitting there just beautifully, respectfully with the Holy father, but they're bringing some of their anger and, and, uh, they, again, they don't see the Holy Father or, or the church necessarily as someone with <laughs> the, the, the credibility to rubber stamp moral living. And I think Pope Francis recognizes that 100%. Right. You know, I, he spent so much time in the barrios in Argentina where, I mean, sadly, a lot of the poor, you know, fall into these lifestyles that, you know, don't reflect Catholic teaching. And he had to learn to see the person. Um, you know, one of the people that uh, spoke to him was was non-binary and was asking the Pope what he thought of that. And his response, you know, the person was asking whether or not they had a, a, a place in the church. And he said, the church welcomes you. The church welcomes everyone. And, you know, it's one of those things when there's he's spoken out strongly against, you know, gender ideology and, and, and things like that. But he's when it comes to talking to the individual person, what, you know, what he's trying to remind us as Christians is that we are to invite, we are to share the love of God, we're to share the gospel. And by, you know, this is one of those things, and you, Paul Fahey stole this line from me, but I think I probably stole it from somebody else. But when you say God loves you, but, and there's a but attached to it, this is something, especially for people who have been raised Catholic, you know, this is something that that immediately turns people away. They don't see unconditional love. And what Pope Francis was demonstrating, like, you know, there was one one girl who seemed like a, a very devout Catholic, and she was defending, you know, Catholic positions on a lot of things. Um, but the rest of them, you know, I don't know if they'll ever return to church or consider Catholicism or or, or anything like that. But, you know, he's he was meeting them where they are. And I, you know, I'd be interested in seeing follow-up interviews with with some of the participants because i think that they were all they all loved you know i think they all enjoyed the encounter or or came away from that meeting with something positive agreed yeah this was not a conversation to the catholic pew sitter this was a conversation to a world that is living on its own terms these young people have set up themselves to to function and to get through you know a bunch of very difficult things and they wanted to know where the church might stand and this was the sense that i got was this was not a conversation to the masses he was trying to speak to these individuals and then like in, in a confessional to hear what they're saying but to look beneath it what is the person actually saying in this moment and what can i say to them if they never hear from somebody else you know a message again what could i share with them and that's why he's he's he bypasses a number of problematic, difficult situations to speak to a truth that they did need to hear. Um, and, and this yeah. is something that I've observed about Pope Francis, and it has taught me so much, um, mm -hmm. is this, he is the opposite of a reactionary. Like a reactionary is somebody who 
gets angry right off the bat without knowing the context. It's just they hear, you know, German gay blessings and and get, you know, that person all of a sudden responds and get, you know, this is wrong. This is against church teaching. Well, one of the, the girl who was, a you know, a pro-choice activist, she offered him one of her group's T-shirts. Um, you know, I think it was like women decide for themselves. Or yeah, it was like, like a, a bandana with her slogans on it. And, um, you know, he received it and he thanked her for it. But then he spoke to the larger truth. He spoke to not only ministry to women who have had abortions before, but also to what abortion is and that we can't make light of what this matter is. But he graciously received it, which reminds me of, you know, when he was in, I think it was when he was in Nicaragua and the president offered him uh, a crucifix on a hammer and sickle. Like it was, and Pope Francis just sort of smiled and accepted it, but didn't really say much about it. When he was asked about it, he said he wasn't offended. Um, but, you know, and, and it's funny because a lot of the American media response was, you know, how dare he not, you know, blah, 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 not blast it. Um, but I talked to a couple of um, Central American Catholic leaders shortly thereafter, and they were like, he gave the exact right response because if he had made a you know, a big issue about it, um, you know, it could have caused some serious damage. Now, of course, keep mm -hmm. Nicaragua in your prayers because the church there is under a lot of, a, you know, a lot of strife right now, a lot of uh, oppression right now. But, um, you know, these are delicate situations. And when the church is not in a place where they have the credibility, where they have leverage, where they have mm -hmm. clout, you know, being the strong man is not, going to get you very far um mm -hmm. yeah. i mean it, it's you know i wonder if you know traditionalists could learn this lesson <laughs> you know they they don't have much in the way of episcopal support they don't you know they're a very small percentage of catholics and yet mm -hmm. they keep throwing down the hammer against the pope you know the pope in response releases traditionis custodes you know it's and then i mean to me it it, it seems like He's modeling patience and he's modeling um, the ability to restrain him, not only to restrain himself, but to respond in love rather than. And in that sense, like I appreciated how often he would not talk during this conversation, which ran for about, I think, an hour, 20 minutes, maybe. And he would allow the group to actually have their own conversations. And and then he ended with this, his last word was to encourage people to continue, have your disagreements, if I remember right, and your discussions, but under everything, he validated one thing that he saw was they were all on the same page in terms of uh, human fraternity, that there yeah. should be a freedom to dialogue and discuss however much they all disagreed. And he praised that as being a, a valuable thing. And that sense that, that I gathered out of that conversation is this is such a great, um, he didn't, as somebody who's listened to, I don't know, a million confessions and the, you know, every possible thing that somebody could do. And, and he sits there and he allows them to work through it. He probably has an answer to every single point. If he could pull each person aside and, and uh, give them encouragement and whatnot. But there's a recognition that I saw in him of the Holy Spirit is present and is moving and is working in, well, every single one of these people. And 
we have seen him regularly offer this same confidence to you know everybody that he he meets and and he might have his own disagreements with them but that confidence that the holy spirit is moving and working today uh and it's that he's continued to produce these documents and this this call for all of us to continue to dream um so moving from that into uh his shepherding of the global synod can you share with us what the new phase is that it's now so, moving into? So, yeah, so we've just completed the continental stage, um, which was basically the bishops of North America, the bishops of Latin America, um, Europe, Asia, Africa, um, and Oceania, each drew up their their own synthesis documents um, using the, uh, uh, the widen the space of your tent, the global document for the working document for the um continental stage so now they're on the stage of beginning to draft and i guess they're begin they're beginning a um a retreat or a reflection to to discuss that uh, before they discuss that but they're drafting the working document for the synodal assembly of october 2023 in the vatican in rome um and Basically, I think one of the things that Catholics need to recognize is that, and I've written about this before, maybe we can put this in the show notes, is that Pope Francis doesn't fear dialogue because he trusts that the Holy Spirit protects the church. Mm -hmm. He trusts that the magisterium, and even use this term, will put a stop to anything that goes against Catholic teaching, anything that goes against the Holy Spirit, the deposit of faith. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I, I just ask Catholics not to have that sense of alarm or that reactionary panic. Um, we are going to hear the issues that Catholics are concerned about. And this isn't, you know, this isn't just traditionalist Catholics. These aren't just American Catholics. These aren't just, you know, these are Catholics in Africa and Asia all over the world have have a varied group of you know set of concerns having to do with women having to do with church leadership having to do with transparency and there are going to be some challenging topics and i mean speaking for myself i'm i'm almost looking forward to this dialogue because i think what pope francis wants to do is he wants to explore what can we do pastorally mm -hmm. as a church that we aren't already doing and let's see you know where those where those spaces are where those gaps are that the you know that the church can fill while staying while adhering to you know the truth of catholic doctrine but so with this this story so obviously is it's going to be ongoing for for a while now i'm curious that's the news having just landed i believe today or yesterday do you have any things that you're cautious about or hopeful for um, looking forward at, at this phase? Well, I'm just interested. I don't know what day the working document is supposed to come out, but, um, you know, basically keep an eye out on that. It will probably list a number of controversial topics, like the ones, some of the ones that the uh, the German bishops are discussing, some of the topics that were discussed in the, in the you know, TV special with the Pope. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's good that the people, you know, the people that are leaving the church over these reasons, and they're, you know, countless people who are leaving the church over some of these issues um, of, you know, 
of credibility regarding um, the abuse crisis, of morality when it comes to um, you know sexual teaching, sexual doctrine in the church. It'll be interesting um, to see which uh, which topics wind up you know on the table, and it'll be interesting to. But I I warn you, the usual outlets are. I'm sure they've already got their, you know, their criticisms written up with the opening and closing paragraphs, and then they're going to sift through, through the document and try to find everything wrong with it. Um, but these are the issues that the people in the church are talking about. Um, these are the, the, the make or break issues. It's funny because the Christological issues, things like the resurrection and the, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, um, you know, even though the faith is declining, it's like these are not controversial issues among practicing Catholics anymore. Um, and it, it's kind of funny that, um, or I guess it's discouraging that people are, are, are upset about the idea of, um, you know, listening and debate and hearing the objections. I think gold is tested in fire, and I welcome this, this synod. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, we're then we're going to be coming back to this uh, probably multiple times, so people can, uh, you know, if you have questions about it, please do share them with us, and we'll do our best to uh, sift through them and, and answer them. Mike, thanks again for the debrief this week. Um, uh, links to the topics that we discussed, if they're available, are going to be in the description. And this conversation is brought to you by SmartCatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask your questions, share your insights, and and suggest topics for next time. Visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Uh, if you found this helpful, please hit that like button. It's going to help YouTube to share this video with more friends, families, and followers. And uh, if you can share this with them, that would be uh, obviously very helpful for us. And it just might be helpful for somebody else's day. So uh, subscribe to the Where Peter Is channel so that you never miss an episode of The Debrief or any other shows that the uh, Where Peter Is puts out. And if you're interested in supporting us even more, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor for where Peter is. Your generosity will help us continue to bring valuable content to you and to enhance the quality of this show. It's true. Your generations directly create freedom for Mike and his team to do more. Thank you, friends, for joining us when it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church. Stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless.